from Flourish DX, this is the Psych Health and Safety Podcast. With workplace mental health becoming a safety prerogative, this is the source of information on psychological injury prevention and health promotion. Hi, and welcome to the Psych Health and Safety Podcast. My name is Jason Van Shee, and I'm one of the hosts of the show. The aim of the podcast is to rapidly increase the knowledge and application of psychological health and safety in workplaces worldwide. To help with this, we have regular guests from around the world who are leading the way in this important area. But before I introduce our guest and topic for today, allow me to introduce my co-host, Joel Mitchell. How are you today, Joel? Episode 101. Yeah, yeah. So we're actually recording this whilst we're recording episode 100 because we're yeah. actually having to do a few different recordings to get all of our guests for that one. Mm. It's about 101. Dalmatians. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> so, um, yeah, is, is this a milestone that we need to celebrate as well? 101? You don't let us celebrate milestones, Jason. Letting you ha- have your 100 celebration. So. Letting me. You're letting you, yeah. You listeners, we got to like 25, no, to 20,000 and Jason said, no, we're not celebrating at 20. We can celebrate at 25. And then we got to 25 and we didn't celebrate. And now we've got past 40 and we're still not celebrating. Yeah, Until so we get to 50,000. 50, and then, all right, listeners, when we get to 50, I will let you know if Jason has decided we're allowed to celebrate. Oh, you'll probably see it on LinkedIn, but we're only um, from this episode, 101, we're probably only a few weeks out from hitting 50,000. Yeah, downloads. less than, well, we're, what are we up to now? Almost 44. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So we'll, we'll probably be there a few mm. weeks after this goes mm. to air. And then you can celebrate occasionally. I can celebrate. All right. Well, we might. I don't know. Might have a team celebration. We might even get Jack in on that. Well, we could. We could. Yeah. Yeah. I think it would be okay because, you know, Jack has been very helpful. Yeah, he has. So, um, yeah, 101. Mm. <laughs> 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 no no uh, anecdotes from the life of Joel today? Um, not, a, not a lot to talk about, really. I'm recovering from a cold. Um, I didn't catch COVID in Melbourne. So that was a that was an unforeseen yeah. positive. Yeah. Um, uh, no, no, unforeseen negative. No, it's an unforeseen positive. Negative I, was, result. I was expecting. Well, all right. <laughs> yes, I was expecting to catch it and I didn't. So, yeah. Hooray. Hooray. Okay. Well, um, no news is actually really good news for yeah, Joel. Yeah, it so, is. What a lovely, boring life you're leading. Just now it is. Yeah. Brilliant. You'll take that. I will. Nice. Well, look, um, let's introduce our uh, guest in for today. Yes. Um, this is actually the third appearance for this guest. Um, she's come on as a solo guest before, as well as appeared on a live panel. Um, she is currently Director of Workplace Health and Safety and Health Policy at the Australian Chamber of Commerce and Industry. Welcome back to the podcast, Jennifer Lowe. Hi, Jason. Hi, Joelle. Thank you for having me again. Yep. Uh, anytime, Jen. If we could just do an episode a week with you, we'd be very happy with that. <laughs> I'm excited to be 101. I feel like that is a celebration. So, well done. Yep. Yeah, so um, it is a, yeah, it's a big milestone. You were on number 17, I think it was, from memory. Mm. Yeah, I don't know. I didn't write that one down. Yeah, but, so yeah. Uh, you're one of our first guests because we were doing three a week crazily we were, enough when mental. we started. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, you would have been in our first month and now you're episode 101. So, yeah, um, yeah really great to have you back on. Keep up the pace. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, Jen, what podcast are you listening to at the moment? Oh. I did wonder about this question um, and I did hope I'd had something different to last time, but the only one I've really added is the um, Hooverman podcast, which is about neuroscience. 
So oh, yeah. not that riveting, um, although some people would find it riveting, but um, yeah, no crime thrillers for me yet. Yeah, I think, I mean, neuroscience is um, it, like it's something I think that really gets overhyped um, in terms of like practical application. So if there's, yeah, somebody putting out information that's accurate and sort of myth busting, then um, I think that's probably pretty good to listen to. Hmm. Cool. Um, so what have you been up to since uh, we last chatted with you? Oh, well, a year has passed quickly. Um, COVID, COVID and COVID and mm. then a bit of floods thrown in there uh, with the East Coast floods at the start of the year. So everything emergency management still for me. Um, and then, of course, the election. <clears throat> so that was probably the big change over the last couple of years, um, election campaigning and then new government. So that's really been the summary of my, my last year. Yep. So just responding to crises and change. Yes. And a bit of BAU thrown in the mix. So obviously all of Safe Australia and, and other work, health safety work. And of course, what we're going to talk about today, the psychosocial mm. developments. Sounds like you need a holiday. <laughs> I do. And I am definitely planning one for the end of the year. Good. Good. <laughs> Yeah, there's a, a bunch of our team uh, who have been working pretty hard lately and uh, we'll be taking some much-deserved time off after we do a big deliverable in the next couple of weeks. Mm -hmm. um, so, uh, Jen, one of the reasons, obviously, we're talking to you today is we're following very closely, you know, the changes in regulations coming out in Australia around psychosocial risks. Um, and I guess to update our, or remind our listeners, in May of last year, the Australian ministers responsible for work health and safety agreed to amend our model workplace health and safety regulations to deal with psychosocial risks. So that was, um, you know, over a year ago now. So what's happened in the, in the past year in terms of this um, progress around these new regs? Yeah, so regulation does move very slowly in Australia. And I guess that's one of the frustrations of a lot of uh, the regulators in the jurisdictions, as well as obviously the stakeholders. So that um, agreement by the ministers did come out of the Boland Review, which was 2018. So yes, it has been a number of years now. Uh, and regs were certainly a focus, but we also had the code of practice thrown in there. So it, it's been a bit of a weird last year because the code was actually agreed to first and then the regulations were agreed to. And then since um, May last year, we've actually seen both of them being developed concurrently, uh, which makes sense. Obviously, you don't want a code that's inconsistent with a new regulation. So um, they've been developed in sync and both of them were probably finalised, I'd say, September, October last year. And then it's been a waiting process. So obviously drafting regulations does take some time and then double checking all the phrasing and the nuances. So that's really been the last couple of months that we've been waiting for that process. Yeah, and um, I guess one of the things that might have delayed it as well is that obviously it's an update to all of the regs on the back of the Boland Review, not just the psych health risks elements. Yeah, so it was part of a package um, of amendments. So I can't... Mm, over 15 amendments, I'd say, off the top of my head. Uh, so, yeah, it had to be done all at once, which also delayed the process further. 
Yeah. Um, and so we've seen New South Wales, WA, um, bring out codes of practice in relation to psychosocial risks in advance of the, the regs. So I'm assuming they were pretty close to the regs being developed when they developed their codes of practice. So they could make sure it was consistent. One um, would hope that is the process being taken, but um, I'd say probably those codes were definitely finalised prior to the final debates on what would be in the model regulations. Uh, but because we are talking principles-based psych regulations, there shouldn't be too much, or there isn't any inconsistency, uh, given the codes are the practical guidance explaining uh, the regulations so so at least we've avoided any problems there but you've also got Queensland who are working on their own code of practice so there, there are a few differences amongst the jurisdictions there yeah yeah no interesting um so can you give our listeners an overview of um the draft amendments as they relate as they relate to psychosocial risks so maybe starting with um the definitions yeah sure so it was a really interesting process um, in drafting the regulations. There were a group of us, so Safe Work Australia members, and then also the technical experts from the different jurisdictional regulators, plus the social partners, so union and employer reps. And we had several meetings really working through what was the minister's decision? How do you then apply it when you're drafting the regs? And one of the questions that came up was, should we have a definition or not? Um, and that was pretty quickly agreed that yes, a definition would very much help clarify what this new area is, um, since it is or can be abstract for a lot of people and a lot of employers and stakeholders in particular. So we wanted to make sure we were on the same starting page. So the definition that we landed on which I will read out so I get the wording correct. So in terms of psychosocial hazards, psychosocial hazards is a hazard that arises from or relates to the design or management of work or a work environment or plant at a workplace or workplace interactions or behaviours and that may cause psychological harm whether or not it may also cause physical harm. So, Sounds like a pretty classic definition from uh, from the regs. Here. Yeah, I wonder how many lawyers were involved in drafting that definition. I love yeah, the ors, ors like, and the ands, yeah. That, yeah, the ands and the ors. Um, but probably the really interesting element of that was there was a very lengthy debate as to whether stress should be referenced as the mechanism of harm or not. Mm. And that debate went on for several weeks um, so some jurisdictions were very keen to be able to reference um, stress as as a mechanism for harm but then others argued that stress itself is a very tricky concept um, because obviously you can have good and bad stress so then you would almost need to unpack <laughs> stress and how stress works um, and then it would be getting too complicated for a definition. So in the end, it was thought that instead we'd reference the fact that these particular elements may cause psychological harm. Um, and then also there was a last minute addition of 
adding in the whether or not it may also cause physical harm. Mm. Yeah, actually, I've got a quick question on that. Um, so in relation to causing psychological harm, um, did you discuss what sort of harm we're talking about there? Is it just negative stress or are we talking about the development of a mental illness or burnout or something like that? Uh, so this is one of those ones where we will never know <laughs> um, because it was agreed not to unpack that one further. So it'll be the common law interpretation of psychological harm. So same with, uh, I guess it was designed to reflect what's in the definition against um, physical hazards or physical health. Uh, so it was trying to reflect that we don't unpack that. <laughs> And, and go, what is the meaning of physical harm? Um, so, it, yeah, it was designed to, to reflect that level of interrogation. Yeah, okay. So yeah. helpful and unhelpful. Well, I mean, if you, if you think about, yeah, there's just a whole, a whole mess if you try to do that because then you're saying, well, we're only going to include things that are identified in the DSM mm. um, or do we go broader than that and then, you know, there's a lot of um, debate around, you know, the DSM and the diagnostic criteria and there are then different um, diagnostic criteria used by some um, disciplines and that sort of thing. So, mm. you know, it just opens up a whole, a whole can of worms without really any, um, any useful clarity, I think. So, um, yeah, no, I, I agree that it would be misaligned with sort of existing, you know, they don't list every single possible mm -hmm. adverse health outcome or injury that you can receive at work. So why would they do that for um, for psychological health outcomes? Yeah, no, fair enough. Mm. Yeah. And then um, they've also thrown in a definition of meaning of psychosocial risk, which is, you know, typical drafting of a psychosocial risk is a risk to the health or safety of a worker or other person arising from a psychosocial hazard. So that's, again, not really helpful, but kind of just um, echoes, again, what we see in that physical side and with the other rings. Mm. Um, so what do the amendments speak to as far as managing risk? Yeah, so this, um, this is where it starts to get a little bit more interesting. So in terms of managing psychosocial risk, we started off with a discussion around what the ministers actually agreed to. So in the decision res, basically the ministers agreed to a principles-based drafting of a new regulation around psychosocial risk that didn't introduce new requirements. So it was meant to purely clarify um, the existing expectations. And so we went through and said, okay, well, what, what are the existing expectations under section 19 and, and thinking of the interpretation of health as both physical and psychological health in the definition of the act. And so that covered identification, um, eliminate so far as reasonably practical or minimise so far as reasonably practical, maintain control measures and review control measures, which all form part of 3.1. And in most of the regs, the drafting refers to you must manage the risk. Uh, so where, are, where was I going with that? Oh, so I was getting to the fact that the hierarchy of control has been excluded, which um, 
was a pretty big decision to make. So in part 3.1, it goes through all of those elements, but it also refers to using the hierarchy of control, um, which I will remind listeners is one of many frameworks for risk management. Um, and the argument was, and particularly from the employer's side, was that it's not necessarily the best fit for psychosocial risk and to prescribe it when it's such a new area um, could potentially be detrimental because of this want to almost tick and flick. So give me a checklist of how I eliminate, substitute, engineer out, et cetera, et cetera. And it would be very hard to teach everyone the fundamentals of this new area and then make sure that they're actually applying that framework correctly. And um, one of the, the key arguments we made was well, already we could pick up differences in how the jurisdictions would use the hierarchy um, for different hazards. So if they could not even agree and um, some of them were quite questionable as to whether they were an elimination control or not, given we're dealing with people and the interaction of people and workplaces. Um, that was our, our main argument for not prescribing it. And um, the one that got over the line at the end was referring back to what the ministers agreed to, which was not to introduce new requirements. And it was seen that applying the hierarchy um, would be a new requirement to dealing with psychosocial risk because you only prescribe the hierarchy to certain hazards in the regulation. So, yeah, okay, and I guess the um, the Victorian um, regs, without calling it a hierarchy, sort of pre present a hierarchy, but it's a different hierarchy, I suppose. Yeah, and I think the way um, the regulators have landed on it. And, and in the guidance, so we, we go back to that fundamental of you must eliminate so far as reasonably practical, or if you can't, you minimise. So it, it's then in that minimise section what you look at doing, uh, and then all of the guidance material can help stakeholders break that down further. So some jurisdictions might have a pseudo hierarchy of control framework that they use to help explain how you might minimize those risks but we didn't want to just pick up the existing hierarchy and mm. plop it in yeah no i agree it doesn't really um track across very well at all um, yeah, over in victoria you know they're talking about you know eliminate and then job redesign preferably um and then if um all else fails administration so training and policy and then self-care last um so that's a nice hierarchy I think that kind of fits in and um, they've worked safe Victoria have been very vocal about administration and self-care should be seen as a last resort or a supplementary control um, we should be seeking to eliminate and yeah. job redesign first well they've actually said that they like admin controls can't be used on their own they can only yeah. be used sort of to enhance um, job design controls yeah yeah, and that, that's um, probably leading nicely into the last element of the regs, which is around the control measures. Um, and this one was, again, interesting. At first, there was a bit of a debate as to do we prescribe certain hazards in the regs, but then that was dangerous territory because obviously it's still an emerging 
area and there's ongoing research. So you could imagine having to add more hazards and then do you list all of them and, or do you just choose the common? So that was quickly a no-go. Um, and that's something again, that will be covered in codes or guidance. Uh, and then it was looking at the manual handling section of the regs and how they do it, because how they're different is they actually list relevant factors um, to take into consideration when controlling risks. And so that was seen as, as another method to highlight certain things um, that the regulators in particular thought stakeholders really needed to um, pay attention to like design um, of work or systems of work. So in the regs, it actually goes through and lists, or oh, I think eight or nine um, different factors that have to be controlled. So if I quickly run through it, you've got the duration, frequency and severity of the exposure, um, how the psychosocial hazards may interact or combine, the design of work, the systems of work, the design and layout and environmental conditions, and then a separate one repeating that, but specifically focusing on workers' accommodation, the plant substances and structures, workplace interactions or behaviours, and then information training, instruction and supervision. Yeah, okay. Yeah, so it's, it is sort of covering then that full spectrum of, um, of work. Um, mm. Quite a lot of that sounds like they might have been listening to us, Jason. Yeah, well, we like the uh, the manual handling and the noise exposure analogies. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah the um, yeah, frequency, duration, and severity of exposure. That's um, yeah, we, we like that. Yeah. Yep, we talk about oh, that a we lot. Like that. Yeah. Well, let's get into it. <laughs> yeah, and the and the combination. So, if we think about um, an exposure assessment from a hygiene perspective, right? To mm. understand risk, you need to understand those three factors, right? You can't just take, if we use the noise analogy, you can't just take the severity of noise as one kind of um, measure. We also need to understand the frequency and duration of exposure to understand the risk of, of hearing damage. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, I think there's actually some good similarities you can pull for psychosocial hazard exposure. Sometimes um, severity is enough, like, you know, being exposed to occupational violence, for example, a high sever severity incident could be enough to actually con contribute to a psychological injury. But often it's like those ones that are pervasive and ongoing, like workload, work demands, you know, which is uh, maybe mild severity, but it's just ongoing and all the time. Well, in incivility is a good one yeah, for that. That's you know, another it, might good one be, too. it might be, um, yeah, not, it's not severe, but it's just constant. Um, and it just, yeah, it gradually erodes away at you. Yeah. So, um, yeah. Um, we, we can have it out if you want, Jen, <laughs> no, but um, no, we, we, we quite like it, yeah. I, I guess it, it is a really interesting two in particular because they're the two that we fought to have removed from the ring. Um, as an employer representative, um, I was very concerned that they are quite abstract concepts. And, yes, theoretically they make perfect sense and with my psych hat on I'm all aboard, but with an employer rep hat on, I go, please explain how the average small business owner would do this. And as yet, there is not great guidance from any of the regulators um, or even from what I can see, a initial go at how you would explain 
doing this to to the average employer. And that's the problem, right? With the yeah. regulator-sponsored tools, they don't assess severity, frequency, duration of hazard exposure, but there may just be a freely available be. tool. There might be. If, you, uh, if you have fewer than 12 employees. It's available oh, for free. Oh, you yeah. have a tool? <laughs> <laughs> and the next step is step two of what you're talking about there, not just considering each the risk of hazard exposure to each isolated hazard on its own, but looking at the combination of hazard exposures and how that contributes to total mm. psychological injury risk. So we're on, we're on top of it, Jen. It's good to see the regulations are finally catching up with us. Yeah, and if the regulators yeah. want to want to have a chat to us about, um, you know, Improving their practice yeah. and, and improving, yeah, organisations in their different uh, states. Yeah. Here we are. That's great because, yeah, the employers are going to need as much help as possible. I I guess it's um, the difference with noise is you do have more objective measures. Um, mm -hmm. So it's how do you apply some sort of more objective measure of this to something that is so subjective? <laughs> Um, yeah, then that's that's the challenge. And I guess that, yeah, because it's, you know, everybody responds to um, psychosocial hazards in different ways. And um, so that's that's really why, um, you know, our view is that you need to be able to consult both at breadth and at depth um, across your workforce. You can't just sort of get a group of people together to, to comment on it because you're not going to be capturing um, the, the full gamut of experience there. So um, that's really where the technology side of it comes into it and, and can be a really powerful um, help for organisations. But, but also the nuanced way of, you know, rather than asking people to rate their workload, for example, um, and getting back a result of it's low, average or high for this percentage of your population, and then assuming risk, mm -hmm. um, actually asking people to what degree has work overload, for instance, caused you to feel stressed in the, in the past few months. Because we all know, Jen, like you'd be in a crumpled heap if uh, work <laughs> workload was a stressor for you no no <laughs> uh, but no i i think that's helpful and the more we can unpack this and perhaps another podcast purely focused on those two would be very helpful for a lot of your listeners because i know i've got questions from my employers as to well, how would you remotely do that for organizational justice which is already again such an an abstract but also subjective topic. Um, yep. So how do you measure yet yeah, duration, frequency and severity of injustice um, in the organisation? So it's things like that that I think employers are going to grapple with when they first see the regulations um, and then it'll be a matter of, well, here's the additional guidance and where there isn't really putting pressure on the regulators but also others to innovate to, to fill that gap. Yeah, well, we'll uh, give you a link to a previous podcast that we did a few months ago where we talked to this. <laughs> yeah, we could we could maybe do an, another expert series um, where we actually speak specifically to the the regs and talk about how. Um, yeah, we might yeah. even need to do another panel with uh, Jen Ian and uh, Carlo on it or something. Yeah. Like that. <laughs> <laughs> um, there was that one. Probably the other one that I'll just flag that um, raised some eyebrows was the substances and structures part. So, again, that was one that we weren't too sure fit in the regulations. Yes, plant makes sense or equipment or working environment, but to specifically highlight substances and structures 
that can also be a bit of a leap for some people um, to go, okay, well, how would working with substances be a psychosocial risk? So I think it's more being able to connect the dots for people again and, and explain, you know, if I'm working with acid, I don't really want to burn my hands off. So <laughs> that's going to create some stress. So then, yeah, and really explaining it in everyday terms. Yeah, I mean, thinking just about, you know, the relatively recent news stories about like lung um diseases in um like stone workers and that sort of thing so you can you know when you I think start to use those types of examples it becomes a lot clearer that yeah if they know that they're you know at a high risk of actually developing um these sort of terminal illnesses as a result of exposure to these substances and they don't feel like they've got adequate PPE um yeah it's going to be a, a big stressor for them yeah, I mean, even COVID is a very current example, right? There was people, and probably still is, people fearful of going back to the office. Um, and so that's where plant like um, ventilation becomes important. You know, exposure to the virus itself mm. um, is a stressor for people. Yeah, and uh, as I explained to, to my members, a lot of the time you might not actually need to do anything new. You might already have good controls in place, but it's how well you're communicating that mm. to the workers. So that communication aspect, again, is critical in terms of um, reducing that psychosocial risk in particular. Mm. Mm. Well, um, actually, this is actually a pretty good segue. We're talking about some of the difficulties in understanding certain terms in relation to psychosocial risk. Um, so what other guidance material do you think needs to maybe support these incoming regs? Yeah, um, so we have, and we, I mean, Safe Work Australia, um, as the membership board, so all of the jurisdictions and social partners have um, talked about developing a framework of guidance materials. So really recognising that there are so many new terms and so many new concepts that need to be unpacked um, and there needs to be a process to do that. That makes sense. So if you look at what we already have, we have the Act, we now have the regs, um, we have a model code as well, which is on its way. Um, we did have a guide. <laughs> So there was a national guide, um, but that is likely to be withdrawn because already um, concepts in that guide are somewhat outdated or potentially inconsistent with the code. So I, get, I guess that does highlight just how quickly this area does evolve and um, what we consider the best controls or, or the best way to communicate certain hazards. So by removing that guide, then we open up to a suite of guidance that can hone in on specific areas in the code. So again, that kind of tiered, let's unpack things as we go down. And we already have the um, workplace bullying guide, the sexual harassment guide, the fatigue guide. However, that is very old and needs mm. a substantial overhaul. So that is listed for a review and then we're also working on a working from home guide um, so that should also be out shortly given COVID um, and again it's unfortunate that these uh, documents take so long to develop because uh, mm. that's um, been almost a year I think that that's been in development um, but you know if it is 
um, regulation or, or even at guidance level, you do want to make sure it's drafted correctly because um, that can be used as state of knowledge for court cases or prosecutions. So as an employer rep, I, I want to make sure there's nothing in it that could get employers into trouble or that that is ambiguous. So. Yeah, it makes sense. So the um, the Safe Work Australia Guide for Psychosocial Risk Management was, was that 2018? Yeah, um, around 17, 18. Yeah, so like you said, it's not that old, um, but already um, maybe a little bit out of date with uh, current thinking in this space. Um, I remember the working hours one because I was doing a bit of work in fatigue risk management at the time. So WA was the first to bring out a code on working hours. I think that was 2006. I think that was it 2011. I think the Safe Work Australia one. So that's over 10 years old as well. Oh, so, yeah. Yeah. So yeah. that's definitely up for review. And then we're also looking at do we break down guidance by industry? So um, that is something that Aki's pushed uh, when we did the Boland review, there was a big discussion around do you group guidance by hazards or by industry? Um, and most of the employers that we talked to said, actually, you know, if I'm in healthcare, it would be really good to group all of the relevant hazards to healthcare in one guide. Um, so we're looking at doing this for psychosocial hazards where if you're in health or if you're in construction these are the most common psychosocial hazards and then explaining that in the context of that industry um, yeah WorkSafe uh, Victoria actually did a really good publication around school um, uh, education so high school uh, primary mm -hmm. school um, and talked to the two main health and safety risks which were manual handling and psychosocial and so that actually gave some really good relevant industry examples of that so mm -hmm. um, it's yeah, I think industry specific is actually really useful and mm. probably most easy to be applied. Yeah, yeah, mm. as long as they include small business. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's always the issue with um, with that kind of guidance, isn't it? It tends to be targeting um, sort of enterprise and, and large organisations and um, doesn't really think about practicability for a, for a small business. Yeah, particularly when they start talking about suites of policies and procedures, it's, well, you know, your average small business probably doesn't have a handbook of policies or procedures or um, have, have different ways of operating and more one-on-one -on -one with staff. So, so yeah, I think that's probably going to be the challenge. How do you provide guidance that's relevant to all of the different types of small businesses in particular? Yeah, as a small business ourselves, um, that's something that we should be thinking about, Jason. <laughs> sure. <laughs> Another project for you. There you go. Mm. Um, that sounds like a Dan project to me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah Dan's on holidays. We can throw him under the bus we as can, much as we like. We can. Yeah. He'll, he'll be really pleased to come back and um, have that to do. Um, <laughs> so, Jen, um, what feedback have you have you received so far from industry um, in response to the draft? Mainly um, who's going to implement it and when, <laughs> along with kind of some concerns, like I said, about elements, you know, the duration, frequency elements, how you do it in practice. Um, there has been some conflicting messages from jurisdictional regulators. So when my employer reps in different jurisdictions have gone to presentations by uh, the regulator, there are some inconsistencies, I guess, in the presentations to what's 
been discussed at the national level. And that is the wonderful federated model that we have. Um, even though we want to be as consistent and harmonised as possible, uh, everyone does seem to go a slightly different way and want to apply their own context um, to everything. So I think that's going to be the number one challenge is, yes, Safe Work Australia has published these model draft regulations and will soon publish the model code, but to what extent is that consistent across every jurisdiction? And as an employer who might work across jurisdictions or generally as an employer, which one's better? <laughs> which piece of guidance do I look at? And what happens if there's actually conflicting advice in the different pieces of guidance? So that's probably the main challenge and the main kind of theme of the questions that I'm getting at the moment. Yeah, and so that will be obviously for employers who are sort of working across jurisdictions. Um, so what, what, I mean, that's, you know, that's something that they have to deal with anyway um, with, with other, um, other codes and other aspects of legislation. So how do they typically deal with that? Yeah, so it's probably not as pronounced in other areas as what we're seeing here. I think the reason for that is there was this big push in 2018-19 for greater focus on psychosocial risks and hazards. And, yeah, so each jurisdiction's kind of powered ahead and gone, well, we're not going to wait for this national process because we know it takes a lot of time. Um, so we're going to work on our own materials. And you actually do see in the codes, some jurisdictions have a different list of common hazards. So yeah. that's probably where it's most pronounced. Um, we do have different hazards. Then if you're an employer who, even if I'm in WA, for instance, if I grab the New South Wales code, you know, you, you would expect if it's a regulated document, that advice should stand. Um, so, so, yeah, that's probably a confusing element. Yeah. Um, I mean, we've sort of had that question um, a couple of times from clients who, who do work across jurisdictions and just, you know, thinking with my ex-regulator hat on, you know, I wouldn't necessarily be looking at, well, have you assessed every one of the hazards that we've listed in our code of practice because they are there as examples. They're not, you know, it's not a prescriptive um, document. Um, and what I would be looking more for is do you have a system of work that actually helps you to identify the hazards that are relevant to your workforce and understand the risk associated with them and then put, you know, controls in place. So it's more about do you actually have evidence that your safety management system is doing what it is supposed to do in relation to psychosocial risk? Yeah. And my, my advice to employers would probably be have a look at all the different guidance because it might make more sense to you how one code is is phrased to another so yeah whatever makes sense to you that allows you to actually implement you know the identify assess control measures that's probably the, the best advice yeah and ultimately the you know the code of practice is there to show um i guess the minimum expectation but as long as you can demonstrate that what you're doing is equal to or better than what that code delivers, um, then it, yeah, that that's really um, sort of what the the legal standing of the code of practice um, provides. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Um, so 
within that then how likely do you think it is that the states and territories will adopt the amended regs yeah so with the regs um given all of the jurisdictions are now under the model work health safety framework except victoria i would expect all of them to adopt the regulations um the question will be timing so wa for instance has obviously just introduced um, the new work health safety legislation so i am not sure what the appetite would be to then immediately introduce another amendment um, to the regulations when they're trying to embed understanding of the new general framework of the act and rates um, so i guess that that is probably the number one question how it's rolled out and the timing victoria is obviously working on their own regulations how consistent that will be with the model regulations is still to be determined um, i hope it is consistent and i hope they do try and match up particularly definitions or, or key elements um, because that would just be even more complicated um, for employers but um, yeah so the regs is probably more straightforward the code of practice is where you'll see the most differences and because i explained previously a lot of the jurisdictions did um, kind of get ahead of the model process so new south wales have theirs wa's published theirs and a fifo code in wa Queensland's um, already uh, developed their own code, although soon to publish, and Victoria and ACT were talking about a potential code. They might now move to adopt the model one, but again, that's a bit up in the air. <clears throat> so um, I guess in terms of the states kind of thinking about this, um, are there any other things that we um, should be following in terms of next steps for these amendments? Yeah, so now that we've seen the, the drafting, so it's probably keeping an eye on, um, say, for Australia's website, jurisdictional websites, for announcements that um, the regs have been passed by the relevant parliaments and jurisdictions. And the code of practice has to be approved by the ministers in the jurisdiction. So a slightly different process of approval there. Um, but in terms of what else, I guess it's then that suite of guidance and Safe Work Australia is planning a, a rather big comms campaign because obviously this is such a new concept. You want to make sure it is communicated widely and in a controlled manner in terms of explaining where everything fits together. So that's quite um, good and probably external to that it's you've also got obviously the standard the ISO standard sitting there in the background <clears throat> um, which is a little bit different to the regs uh, in terms of it, it is broader so it is again that more holistic systems approach so it's complementary to it um, and then you also have the work of the Mentally Healthy Workplace Alliance, which I think I touched on last time, which is this kind of one-stop shop portal, which will also cover um, legislation developments and codes of practice and regulations. So they're probably the three that um, I'd keep an eye on. Uh, there's other things happening, you know, vocational space, so training, um, you know, universities trying to keep up with how do we now introduce this concept? How do we um, develop training on it? And then 
um, things like the book of knowledge, tackling a new chapter. So yeah, quite a lot of movement in this space, but I guess it is, it's a good thing. Yeah, it's good that um, universities are thinking about it from a, um, a curriculum perspective and it'll be interesting to see whether that's enhancing curriculums of existing um, qualifications or if it's actually creating a, a new um, qualification. I guess there's pros and cons um, to, to both of those things um, and maybe maybe it's both. Yeah, and it would see, I'd see it as a really good crossover unit. So if you're a HR student or an OSH or even a lawyer, like that would be a good unit that any of those kind of disciplines could and should be able to pick up. But I guess yeah. wait and see. And, and organisational psychology. Of course, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, now there is um, some talk about micro-credentials uh, in this space. Um, the only one uh, accredited course that we're aware of is from the Canadian Mental Health Commission on uh, psychosocial um, risk management, I think it is. It's a, um, I think a psychosocial safety advisor maybe. Yeah, that's the one, like yeah. that, yeah. 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 I'll have to look into that one. Mm. All right. Well, uh, Jen, that's been um, a really good unpacking. Is there anything else that our listeners should know about the uh, the regs? Probably not on the regs. Um, I'd just say, again, this is a shifting, emerging space. So there is so much funding going into new research, particularly around good controls and good um, intervention strategies at a organisational level. So that's probably the area that we'll see a lot of a new work and developments coming out of in the next couple of years. So yeah, keep an eye on that. Yeah, it's definitely a missing piece that we hope to uh, contribute to as well. Um, I think it's pretty well understood now, um, the different cycle <laughs> by a number of people, the, the common psychosocial hazards and their impact on psychological health of employees is pretty well understood. Um, but what's not so well understood are what are the, you know, in particular systemic controls that can be put in place to protect employees from, from harm. Yeah, great. Well, Jen, um, we asked you this last time you were on or when you were on as a solo guest, so the first episode that you are on. Um, I can't recall for the life of me what you said at the time. I'd have to go back to re-listen to that episode. Um, shame, shame on you, Jason, yeah, for I not never, remembering everything that our guests say. And Jason, I never do. Jason, letting I'm me horrible. Out. I'm horrible at homework too. So <laughs> <laughs> didn't do any homework before this. So, uh, Jen, um, if you were to think into the future, what would your hopes for the future of workplace mental health be? Oh, um, I think at this point, it would be that everyone has that basic understanding, but also a basic understanding of what is one or two things they can do to improve it in workplaces and in their general lives. I, I think that's the goal for me. Um, I don't think everyone's going to be, you know, a org psych on it, but if we can teach people to be more critical about, okay, I'm aware that there is this psychosocial problem, whatever that means, but this is what we could do to address it in the workplace and actually take that methodical approach, I think that that's probably the best outcome in the next, you know, two to five years. Yeah, I dare say this is probably, um, you've probably toned down your hopes in the last year. Uh, maybe this becomes cynical, but more cynical every year. I don't know. But, um, do you want I, to call it cynical or do you want to call it pragmatic? Yeah, e either or. Um, 
So, yeah, I, I have spoken to companies about that as well, about, hey, you don't have to become a mentally healthy organisation overnight or you don't go from where you currently are to the best practice overnight. It's continuous improvement, right? Yeah. So just those incremental improvements over time uh, and then hopefully, yeah, you just get better and better in this space and, um, you know, do better and better for the well-being of your employees. Yeah, and genuine improvements. So not, you know, the old school dick and flick or here, have yeah. some time off, go to a yoga class, like genuine assessment of what could actually work. Yeah, yeah and um, if COVID's taught us anything, you know, really large-scale rapid transformation of how we work um, is possible with enough, uh, you know, impetus. So if you can see the fail of your business, unless you make a change, then you're going to change, right? And you're going to start learning how to work remotely, for instance. Yeah. Um, but companies, yeah, I mean, that is, they often say, well, this is a systemic issue, really big. We, we can't possibly change this. Um, but then I guess, you know, if it was business critical, then they'd, they'd actually come up with some solutions, I reckon. And I think that's where you guys are probably leading the way in your use of data and analytics. Like to me, definitely in the last six months, that is something I think will be the focus for the next kind of year or two is that AI, data, analytics, um, technology, and then applying it to this psychosocial space. So how do we get better at using it given we've had to shift so quickly over COVID to, to embracing technology? So, yeah, you guys are well positioned there. Yeah. No, it's a, it's an interesting space and we hope to make some announcements actually in upcoming podcasts about what we're doing in this space to really rapidly, um, you know, make an impact in the in the data intelligence space in particular. Yeah. Mm. So, Jen, words of advice for our listeners who um, want to do more in this space? Read as much as you can. <laughs> I Yeah, I I'd say that. If we're at that point in time where there is a lot of information coming out and not to just probably look at one source, but to spend as much time as you can to, to reviewing different sources of information. With a critical thinking hat on. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah, nice, because, yes, there is lots of content out there at the moment. And, um, yeah, a, a reasonable percentage of it is nonsense. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Jen, um, it's been amazing having you on again. Let's not leave it a year um, <laughs> before the, the next episode that we do with you. Obviously, like you say, it's um, if, if anything, it's just becoming more rapid, the um, transformation and developments we're seeing in this psychosocial space. So I think there's probably a good argument to have you on again in about six months to give us an update about where the world's at again. Yeah, how, how are the states progressing? How are the mm. companies um, responding? Yep. 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 And are the codes published yet? Yes. <laughs> yeah, <that's laughs> right. yeah. um, but yeah, no, thank you again so much for your time, Jen. Um, and uh, yeah, we look forward to having you on again and sometime in the near future. So thank you, Jason. Thank you, Joel. It was lovely. Great listeners. Well, that brings us to the end of another excellent episode with a, an amazing guest. Um, remember, we do video these things when we record with our guests. So if you prefer to take on a video medium rather than the podcast, it's probably too late for this episode, but um, you can go check it out on the Flourish GX YouTube page. Um, we'll also be publishing some of the clips, uh, highlights from this uh, conversation with Jen on our Flourish GX LinkedIn page, uh, as we do with all of our podcasts. So feel free to check out some of the highlights uh, over there. And then while you're over on LinkedIn, make sure you uh, connect with Joelle and myself if you want to continue the conversation on, on that medium. Um, but that's it, listeners. We'll catch you next episode. 
You've been listening to the Psych Health and Safety Podcast. To stay up to date with the latest on psychological injury prevention, follow Flourish DX on LinkedIn and subscribe to the Psych Health and Safety Podcast at www.psychhealthandsafety.com.